Let's uh, read from God's Word before we uh, pray together from Philippians chapter 1. If you're visiting, uh, let me just remind you what we're doing. We're working our way through uh, the book of Philippians these Sunday nights. And tonight, we're really looking at verse 19 through to uh, 26, but we'll read up to 26 just to set the context for the passage. So this is uh, God's Word. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the Word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. And yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain 
and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. And we end our reading there. We thank God for this, his word to us. Let's pray now as we worship him. Let's think of some of the themes. Um, this uh, passage that's before us tonight is uh, one that's very special uh, to my heart. Um, back in the day when Macro Mason was at the cutting edge of Christian music, we had this country and western group that came to sing um, in our church, and uh, we as a family, we turned out, um, I wasn't very, wasn't very old at the time, and they sang this song based on verse 21, to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I could sing it in a kind of country, I can vaguely remember the tune, I certainly know the words, but I won't put you through that, I wouldn't. But I couldn't understand. There seemed to be a lot of words strung together. To me, to live as Christ, to die as gain. I, I, I was that young. I couldn't understand. And I went home, and my dad explained it to me. To me, to live as Christ, to die as gain. When you broke it up, it was so simple. But when they sang it so fast, it was meaningless to me. But I never forgot that little episode with my dad who modeled the gospel and taught me what Philippians 1 verse 21 is all about. We'll be thinking in part of that this evening. May God open up our hearts and minds to understand what this all means. Let me pray for us now as we tackle this passage. Lord, we thank you um, for the experiences you brought Paul through and here they are before us in your inspired word for our benefit. Help us to understand what it means to, to be alive in Christ and what it means to die in Christ. May you open up our hearts and minds so that we will be strengthened, that our faith will be mature and that our witness to others will be very clear. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. In many ways, in, in Philippians 1, uh, over the last couple of weeks, you, you uh, have been taken by Paul through a kind of time journey where he's looked at his past, his present, and now tonight he's looking into his future. The past really is summed up there in, in verse 12. Maybe we should just read that verse. Uh, now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And he's basically saying all the sufferings in the past had prepared him for gospel ministry. And then in verses 13 to 18, he's thinking about his present, all those things about chains and those who preach Christ out of envy and rivalry and such like, and others out of goodwill. He's talking about all his restrictions in the present were like a platform provided by God for real ministry. So you can see what he's saying here. God had prepared him for ministry and created a platform for his ministry, past and present. And that same kind of positive attitude holds true for the future as well, as Paul thinks about what might be down the line. And so his focus now, tonight, as we look at these verses 19 to 26, 
is not about the preparation for ministry or even the platform for ministry. It's about what's going to happen in the future. And this focus is a mixture of what is certain and what is uncertain. Living and dying. His certainty involves his ambition and his purpose. He really wants to live for Christ. And that is certain. He's 100% committed to that. But he's full of uncertainty in, in his, facing his death because he, he doesn't know when it's going to happen. He doesn't know where it's going to happen. He doesn't know how it's going to happen. So he mixes this certainty of his desire to live for Christ with his uncertainty about when he's going to die for Christ. And I find that really refreshing. A refreshing way to look at life and death. Our past sufferings, our past experiences, prepare us for what? Just for mere existence? No. For real ministry. All the stuff, the bad stuff that happened in the past, shaping us to be effective for Christ. That's what Jesus is always in the business of doing. And then even in the present situations we find ourselves, you know, are, are, we, just, are we just going through life, just existing? Or, or is there some greater plan in place? And the Bible says, yes, there's, there's, a, there's a plan. There's this beautiful platform created by God that you're on with him, and it's to show the gospel to others. And the future, well, yeah, Lots of opportunities to witness for Christ and for Jesus and his glory, whether we live or whether we die. So I've got three main headings tonight. First of all, we've got um, exalting Christ in those first few verses, 19 to 21. Maybe we should read those again. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ. Paul is confident about his future because he knows that God is at work in him and through him. And verse 19, that word deliverance there could mean salvation. And he's not referring to um, being delivered from prison, as some might read that. Instead, Paul is confident that God was in total control of absolutely everything, and he was using all his circumstances to produce a greater manifestation of Jesus. A greater manifestation of Jesus. So the issue for Paul was not when he was sitting there in that prison saying, oh, am I going to live? Am I going to die? When am I going to pass from life into death? Am I going to be the rest of my time in prison or will I be free? None of those issues were high on the priority list of Paul. The issue that guided his future was this, that Christ will be exalted in my body. That's his focus, his number one focus. And notice at the end of verse 20, whether by life or by death, I want Jesus to be exalted in my body. 
Now, the future for Paul could have thrown up all kinds of issues. There were so many unknowable scenarios that he couldn't even begin to imagine as he sat in that prison cell. But the question for him always was, not am I going to be free or am I going to be here? Uh, uh, all these things. No, his focus was that Christ will be exalted in my body. What do you fret about? Is it not true that many of us fret about my future? How am I going to live? What will my life be like going forward? Will I have enough for my living? Will I be comfortable in my old age? Or do we ask questions, how will I die? What will my death be like? When will I die? These things very often fill our time. But Paul doesn't think about such things. <laughs> Not at all. Because Christ being exalted is the key to his life, whether he lives or dies. Whether he lives in this prison cell for a long time or gets released. Uh, it doesn't matter when or where he lives or dies. His key point was, I want Christ to be exalted. I want Christ to be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, notice in verse 19, uh, he, he, he talks there about the, the power of prayer and the help of the Holy Spirit. It's through these two great gifts that God was going to help Paul exalt Christ. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And in verse 20, and this is also key, uh, he longed for sufficient courage to be able to continue to exalt Christ. I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed but we'll have sufficient courage so that now, as, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. His concern was that he remain faithful to Jesus and not be a failure. I wonder, instead of worrying about how we're going to live and how we're going to die, if we could have just this little taste of exalting Christ being our number one motive, our number one reason for existence. The word exalted there <clears throat> is very important, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. It, makes, it means make large. John the Baptist had that in mind when he, he said, he must increase and I must decrease. See, Paul wanted Jesus to be lifted high. He wanted Jesus to be raised up. And this was at the heart of his doctrine and the heart of his ministry. He never wanted to be the focus of attention. He always wanted to be pointing to Jesus, exalting Jesus, whether by life or by death. And as Jesus is exalted to that measure, Paul is joyful, he tells us. And the more Jesus is exalted, the more Paul is joyful. So whether he lives or whether he dies, as long as Christ is exalted, Paul 
is joyful and content. This exaltation in my body, he says, in my living or in my dying. And he wasn't afraid of either. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. I remember hearing a speaker uh, speak about these verses and these kinds of themes many years ago, and he suggested uh, putting a post-it note on your bathroom mirror. So the first thing you see in the morning um, when you're washing your face and brushing your teeth is, you are not your own. You are not your own. Every day, you start off your day by realizing you're not your own. You've been brought from, bought from Satan at huge expense. The blood of Jesus has set you free. You're not your own. You're his. And everything you have and everything you are basically is a stewardship, whether you have much or whether you have little. The totality of everything you have and everything you are is, is God's. And so we ask the question, I mean, have you offered your body as a living sacrifice to God? This is your spiritual act of worship. Paul tells us that in, in Romans 12. And Paul wrestles with this. Remember, he's in prison. I keep saying that. He's in prison. He's not looking good. And he says, I don't want to bring him shame. I don't want to lose my courage. I don't want to exalt myself at his expense. And the Bible asks us, in our living, can we say these things? Can we say these things? And then we have these Six simple words that sum up our correct attitude uh, to living. To me, to live is Christ. It brings back that country and western song, doesn't it? Those six words, and by the way, the words that come next, which we'll think about just in a few moments' time, to me, to live is Christ, to die is gate, is really a summary of the Christian life. Six simple words, each with just one syllable. James Montgomery Boyce says this is a definition of what a Christian is. He says this is the core of what the, of the gospel is. And it really was Paul's personal mission statement. And if you, ever, if you ever want a personal mission statement, well, there it is. To me, to live is Christ. And if you get this, if you understand this, if you live this, you'll understand how Paul could turn the world upside down. This one man taken in the power of the Spirit to, to create and form so many churches, plant so many churches all over the known world. And there's three little sections. To me, to live was Christ. If you've ever been to um, a funeral that I've conducted, uh, I sometimes use th that little expression. And then to die is gain. So it's something personal, isn't it? To me. You see, the salvation, the Christian faith, is, is something personal. And it doesn't say to the crowd or to the congregation. No, he says 
to me because God is intensely interested in the individual, and He's intensely interested in you. And you, by the way, need to be able to say to me to live as Christ. But we see God's beautiful interest in the individual, those parable of the um, lost things in Luke 15. Do you remember how many sheep there were? A hundred. Ninety-nine were okay. Now, one was lost, but you know, maybe I'm just a lazy kind of shepherd, but I would thought, you know, I've still got 99. The one might come back himself, but no. Off he goes to seek after that one lost sheep. And the woman, she had nine, or she had 10 coins. She still had nine because one was lost. And what did she do? She could have said, you know what? I'll come across it at some stage, but um, no. She searched until she found that one lost coin. And when the one son went astray, the whole household was cast into gloom. And what's God saying? (laughs) The individual is important. The people of God, the corporate body is important, but the individual is also important to me. And as an individual, you have to live for and you have to live in Christ. I wonder if you've got that right. It's also something practical to live. Paul doesn't say it's something to dream about or, or to bluff, but to live, to really live. Every part of my being, every relationship in my life, every moment of my time, everything's wrapped up in who Jesus is, in my work, in my service, You are not your own, the Bible says, to live. And there's something possible is Christ. You see, living in Christ is possible because of Christ. (laughs) When I cannot, he can. When I don't have, he has. What I lack, he supplies. And so my foolishness is corrected by his wisdom. My selfishness is mastered by his love. My fears are conquered by his courage. My weakness are undergirded by his power. As one old saint said, Jesus is the essence of my life, the model of my life, the aim of my life, the solace of my life, and the reward of my life. He is the beginning, the middle, and the end. He's the alpha and the omega. Exalt him. Exalt him. That's the secret of Paul's life. The second thing we might say is that we've got to be ready to die. To me, to live with Christ, to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. But what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Life in Christ is wonderful, but the gospel says life for the Christian after death just gets better. The word gain there, to die is gain, uh, comes from um, the investment world, or it's a monetary term. 
It's about profit, gain. And so instead of complaining about the jail that um, he's in, he, he rejoices in his chains because he's experienced something of Christ, and he knows that what he has now is good, but what he's going to get is better. When he dies, his current wonderful life will just get better. Death brings gain. Are you ready to die? I know many of you. I know most of you. I know most of you are ready to die. But are all of you ready to die? I love my job, but you know the thing that, that is the hardest thing of all of ministry? Two things. Seeing here in, in front of the pulpit here a coffin of an unbeliever. The sheer despair that you feel. But it only gets worse when you go to the graveside and you look down into a hole 12 foot deep and you see a coffin lowered in. Are you ready to die? Young folk, it's good to see you here tonight. <laughs> Are you ready to die? Now, we're going to talk about living in a few minutes time, but before you can really live, you've got to be ready to die. Are you ready to die? So what are these death benefits? What is this great gain? To die is gain? How could it be gain? Well, in an insurance world, there are death benefits, but you and I know that the death benefits in the insurance world are for those who are left behind, what Paul's talking about here, death benefits for those who actually die. And for the Christian, death is gain. Death is better by far, he says. And it's never pictured as gain over the worst in this life, you know. It's always portrayed as an improvement on the very best in this life. So you might say, oh, Paul is in prison. Death would be better than lying in prison. Is that what he means? Or if you're, I've got slow, painful death, surely death would be better again? Maybe you're weak and tired and weary. Does Paul mean that that's gain? No. No, no. It's not gain over the worst in this world. It's gain over the best in this world. So you might have everything. You might have lots. But the thing is, for the Christian... Death is gain. We shall be with Jesus. The greatest of death benefits you could possibly imagine. Now, there's a reality about living in Christ here on earth now, but it's the quality of life with Christ in heaven. That's the difference. And that's the dilemma for Christians. It's the dilemma that Paul had, verse 22 and 23. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? That's the dilemma. I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. See, here's the dilemma for Paul, and it should be for us too. Having Christ here and having him there. Having much of Christ here and having more of him there. Having Christ by faith here 
and having Christ by sight there. So do you look forward to your death benefits? Are you ready to die? Oh, this is a bit heavy, so maybe I should lighten it a wee bit. You know, once upon a time when I was young, and I was young once, our family would go visiting on a Sunday evening after milking, evening milking on a Sunday. We had no evening service in those days, so, so we'd just go around some relatives. That's what you did in those days. And when we were told that we were going to Auntie Flory's and Uncle Jack's, oh no, that was our, that was our reaction, the, the three boys, because they were lovely, Auntie Flory and Uncle Jack, they were in many ways, but their idea of, of child-friendly entertainment was the people's friend and the Reader's Digest. Actually, I had a fondness for the Reader's Digest from those early days in their house. Supper was weak diluted orange with digestive biscuits with margarine on it. And thin ham sandwiches, just one little thin slice of ham. And she always put mustard on it. However, if mum and dad said, we're going to Uncle Gilmer's and Auntie Jean's, well, that's brilliant. You know why? Because Derek, Stephen and Mark, our cousins would be there and they had Toys and games and comics and supper was Coca-Cola <laughs> and biscuits wrapped in, in, in wrappers. You know, those kind of biscuits. It was a joy to go there. You see, who was there and what was there determined whether we wanted to go there or not. And Jesus and his glory and perfection is in heaven. I want Jesus here, and I want Jesus there. Is that how you feel? By the way, that's how I feel right now. That's the way I should always feel. I want Jesus here, and I want Jesus there. Back in... Um, my Eberington days as an assistant minister, Joe Fell used to always say to the people there, and they didn't particularly like it, he would say, make it easy for me to bury you. Make it easy for me to bury you. In other words, die well. In my early days here, I shared that once or twice. And one Saturday morning, David arrived at my, or at the manse door. I was going to say my manse, but yours actually. David said to me, would you let a sinner into your house? I said, David, come on in. We sat down. He told me a story of sin, rebellion, and lostness. And I had the joy of leading to Christ. Do you know what he said to me? It's going to be easy now to bury me. And seven years later, I had to do that. And I asked him before he died, could I keep telling that story? And I have. Are you ready to die? But what about living? You've got to be prepared to live as well, 24 to 26. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. 
Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through your being with me again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow in account of me. Here's the secret, folks. It's only when you're ready to die can you really live. You get that? That's why the order is so important here. It's only when you're ready to die can you really live. Because those who are most prepared to depart are most prepared to delay departing and truly live. There used to be an expression back in the old days, you know, so heavenly minded that there were no earthly use. I think the opposite probably is always true. More heavenly minded, the most earthly use. So why are we still here? Do you ever ask the question? I mean, why didn't he just take us home once he saved us? Because he's got work for us to do. And we've been thinking about service, haven't we? Particularly this with men's and women's ministry over the last couple of um, weeks. Uh, the men looked at Ephesians 2 verse 10, these good works that Christ has prepared in advance for us to do. Includes a task, uh, a gift set, and a place to serve. And Paul was so committed to Jesus and so committed to the progress of others, he could say in verse 25, convinced of this, I know I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So here's what he says. If he dies, he will gain. And if he lives, others will gain. <laughs> Paul's remarkable, isn't he? This is a win-win situation for him. If I die, I gain. If I live, you gain. How can you stop a man like this? You know, as one commentator said, kill him, he dies with a smile on his face. Imprison him, he'll preach to the guards, as he did. Beat him up, and he will sing songs at midnight. Run him out of town. He'll go to the next town and do exactly the same thing there. Stone him, and he will use the rocks to build a meeting house. That's the kind of guy he was, ready to die, and very prepared, therefore, to live. Are you alive? I mean, are you really living? Because actually, you're ready to die. You see, his own personal deep longing for heaven, his own deep personal longing for the face of Christ was subordinated to what is best for the church. He was a Jesus first man, a gospel first man, an others first man. If you can have three firsts, then he had it in them all. His physical comfort, his personal freedom, his very life was molded by his commitment to the advancement of the gospel and the health of the church. If you live um, 75 years here, I'm going to give you some stats that are quite alarming. You'll, if you live to 75, you'll have spent in around 22 years sleeping, five years eating, 
six years watching TV, two years traveling, 16 years working. If you're a Presbyterian minister, you can double that, I suppose. Two years in the bathroom. There's others. I hope it all adds up to 75. So much of our life is unproductive, isn't it? Some things are more necessary than others. But what does God want of you and me? I'll give him 10%. You know, we talk about 10% in the offering plate. What about him 10%? What about 50%? What about 100%? Your whole life. C.S. Lewis rightly said, the only thing that Christianity cannot be is moderately important. It's either a load of nonsense and you're going to reject it all, or it's so important it demands 100% of your commitment. So, very quickly, what does Paul want here? He wants to remain uh, for us a lot of time and really live for him, verse 24 and the beginning of verse 25. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know I will remain. That's what he wants. I'm going to remain here and really live. And then, what's he going to do during that time? Well, he's going to seek their progress. The end of verse 25. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. And then, in verse 26, he wants to see them overflow with joy and not be miserable and bored. So that, through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. So Jesus, in a sense, wants to radically change us and our use of time. And he says, I'm going to use you for your living because I've got your eternity sorted out and your eternity is going to be gained upon even the best that you'll get here. In conclusion, um, a king invited many people to the greatest banquet ever, Stories told in Luke 14. The banquet was prepared and the last invitation was sent out. And some were too busy to attend. They had other plans, other priorities. They made their excuses. The first one said, you know what? I've just bought a field of ground and I I need to go and um, see it. Please excuse me. And the second guy, he said, well, you know, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I want to try them out. Um, Too busy. Sorry. Please excuse me. And the third guy, he said, I just got married. Please excuse me. I can't come. And in that little parable, Jesus powerfully, beautifully brought together three big reasons why so many people are not living. They're not living. Wealth, career, relationships. And these three things can stop us living for Jesus. Or we might live for Jesus, but there's no progress, there's no joy There's no desire for heaven. There's no service for the king. We're so wrapped up in wealth, career, relationships. 
And Jesus cries out to us, would you just live for me? But only, it's only when we get the dying bit right that we can truly live. Only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Ready to die? Tick. Prepared to live? Tick. Always exalting Christ. Tick. To me to live as Christ. To die as gain. Let's pray. And once again, if you want to talk about any of these issues, you know there's so many people here would love to engage with you. Lord, thank you for your, the scriptures, these beautiful, powerful words, simple and yet profound, challenging, life-changing. To me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. So that Christ may be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Our God, write your great truths of grace upon our lives. We don't want to get to heaven by the skin of our teeth. We don't want to waste the opportunities for life and for living here. And we don't want to miss out on the better by far, the gain of glory. Lord, speak to us, we pray. Lead us into truth and to blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.